When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Circle is the word of the day. It is Wednesday, January 11th, 2023. Full circle. Carlos Correa is back with the Minnesota Twins. News came over the phone yesterday. Hard to imagine, given that we spoke about it. And I told you yesterday that he was going to re-sign with the Mets, but it was going to be for a pay cut. They were going to renegotiate his contract, lower the guarantee from $315 million to below two seventy-five million to get my November wait to see right. And all of a sudden, the Mets turn their back on him, and he's a twin for six years, $200 million. What a process. What a saga. I'm trying to picture the conversation between Carlos Correa and Scott Boris when they finally got sick of Steve Cohn, and they didn't want to negotiate anymore with the Mets. And Boris said, don't worry, I've got a great landing spot for you. And Correa said, great, am I going to get the 315? No. Am I going to get the 285 that the Twins offered me when the offseason started? Great question, Carlos. No. Well, what am I getting? Well, listen, you failed two physicals. It's unheard of that you're even getting any sort of multi-year contract. And I, the great Scott Boris, have gotten you six years, 200 million, but it gets better. There could be four extra years. Oh my God, what am I gonna get paid for those? Well, listen, that's a different story because for those four years, you're only gonna get 25 or 20 and then 15 and 10. Well, I don't get it. What do you mean? That it, it shouldn't work that way. I want to get $30 million a year for 10 years, 300 or 28 and a half for 10 years, 285. Well, listen, we did the best we can, but you're going to have to do a physical. Well, what will the physical be like? Will it be like I, with the Mets and the Giants where I failed it? He said, no, I have an agreement with the twins and here's your physical. All you have to do is go to the doctor's office and when they ask you to breathe, they're going to hold a mirror in front of you, right in front of your mouth. When they say breathe, just breathe into it. And if you fog the mirror, you pass the physical. Aren't I a genius? (laughs) That's what the twins did. They're announcing it today. He already passed his physical. Of course, they're saying, we know the player. We live with the player last year. We're not worried about the right leg injury. And by the way, we're protected. And the way they're protected is that they're only guaranteeing him $200 million. And it's a team option each year for the next four years. 
by the way, I don't know where we'll be, maybe still doing nothing personal. 2029 to 2032, he can make 25 million in 29, 20 million in 30, 15 million in 31, and 10 million in 2032 when he'll be 37 years old. So all the people are writing what a great deal that is for the Twinkies. They don't have to pay a lot of money for a player who stinks when he's old. They're protected against injury if his lower right leg all of a sudden acts up and the steel plate starts becoming metallic or somehow something happens and he can't play. They can't unguarantee the 200, but they can jettison him when he's 34 years old and skip the last 70. So the most he can earn is 270 million. So as I'm sleeping on this, we did an 18 minute segment on it yesterday, right when it happened. But I was sleeping on this because I'm alone on an island with this issue. And I ask you to ponder the following. Even if you're not a Mets fan, Steve Cohn has a payroll in the 300s, 400s, luxury tax, 70 to $100 million, wants to win a World Series, first three to five years, he's entering year three. Told you that Carlos Correa was the exact final piece in the championship puzzle. All of a sudden the physical comes and I guess he wasn't the piece anymore because he had an injury that hadn't cropped up since 2014. But yet the Mets were still willing to offer him and this got confirmed, $157 million over six years. So I'm up all night, and I really was up all night. It was a horrible night. Watch the Golden Globes, side note, Coco. Watch the Golden Globes, fell asleep at 12.05, opened my eyes at 12.37. I got 32 minutes of rest. I did go downstairs and watch everything everywhere all at once for a second time, but we'll talk about that after. So in that 32 minutes of deep, uninterrupted slumber, I'm wondering to myself, why did Steve Cohn offer 157? But then when Scott Boris went back to Steve Cohn and said, by the way, we've got 200 from another team. Will you go to 201? Because my guy has a kid who's wearing a little Met t-shirt, wants to be in New York, doesn't want to spend his entire career in Minnesota, or does he? Probably not. Will you go to 201, 205? And Steve Cohn said no. He could have gotten from 315 down to 205 guaranteed with protections on the back end of a deal, and he turned it down. What changed from when he's in Hawaii offering 315 for 12 to 18 days later, round numbers, when he's not willing to go to 205 for six? To say that there was not MLB involvement means you have not been on the inside of MLB. And I am not in any way saying that MLB tells you who to sign. I'm not saying they tell you where your payroll should be. I'm telling you that they're gonna enforce different rules like the debt service rule. They can enforce different penalties for an amount of debt that a team has, for the amount of losses a team has. The Mets lose money, lots of money. Owners were unhappy with the Mets payroll, with the Correa signing. You don't think that there's a reason Steve Cohn turned down Carlos Correa? For all of you saying he's keeping his powder dry, he's gonna give it all to Otani 
What a brilliant move. Keep the payroll down. Go after Otani at the end of this season. Offer him $600 million over 13 years, and you've got yourself a front-of-the-rotation starter, a middle-of-the-lineup bat. He'll be in year four of his plan. He'll have Verlander and Scherzer coming off the books soon thereafter. We're talking about having money for Alonzo also. You then have Lindor, Otani, Alonzo. You have Otani filling in for Verlander and Scherzer. It's brilliant. But he only thought of it in the last 18 days? Give me a break. Carlos Correa is a twin, and I lost a weight to see over it. So he's not going to be in the NL East, back in the American League, back in the AL Central, trying to win a very winnable division. But back in the AL East, we've got a lot going on. We, we'd spent the early part of the offseason talking about Aaron Judge. Where is he going to go? Giants? Nope, stayed with the Yankees. The Tampa Bay Rays are the Tampa Bay Rays. The Orioles are getting a little better. What about the Boston Red Sox? People have been complaining about the Boston Red Sox for years now, and I have gone gray, although I don't dye my hair. I don't know if you can see right now. I've got a few gray hairs, like... 10 or 12 of them. I think I get a new gray hair for every hour I don't sleep in the middle of the night as I'm sitting there staring at the ceiling. And then it goes away when I go downstairs and I just embrace the fact that I'm not going to sleep. Hey, I can get through the show. I can do it. So I have gone gray trying to explain to everybody why John Henry and Tom Werner are not the devil, why they've brought you four World Series since 2004, why you should be happy. But there's something about Chaim Bloom and the Red Sox that make people say, how come you let Bogarts go? How come you let Betts go? You've got to sign Devers now. They give Devers the big contract a week ago. Not enough. Let J.D. Martinez go. I remind you, for anyone asking why they let J.D. Martinez go in free agency, signed with the Dodgers, by the way, they were trying to get J.D. Martinez to opt out of his contract for the last three freaking years. Of course they were letting him go. Nathan Avaldi, see ya. An overpay after that great World Series performance. So they bring in a bunch of players. They bring in Corey Kluber, nothing. Middle of the rotation guy, former Cy Young, but not going to win you a World Series. You're okay with that, right? Bring in Kenley Jansen. He's in the ninth inning of his closing career. Chris Martin is better off on tour with Coldplay. They signed the Japanese player. Don't forget about Yoshida to lead off and play left field. Gave him 85 million when no one else was giving him squat. Maybe 30, 35 million. Overpaid for him. They're spending money. Doesn't that count? Last year, they signed Trevor Story. Trevor Story was one of the big shortstops available. They signed him to a long-term deal, yet still people complained. They brought him in. They had him play second base. Word came out yesterday, uh-oh, he's hurt again. Trevor Story had surgery, and they tried to couch it. This was pretty funny when Chaim Bloom met the media. They couched it as not Tommy John surgery. Well, I've got a surprise for you. Whatever you want to call it, if it smells like a rose and tastes like a rose, then it's probably dog doo-doo. Trevor Story had Tommy John surgery. Maybe not the definition of Tommy John that you want to believe or that the Red Sox want to believe. Maybe it wasn't a full tear of the UCL in his elbow, but it's enough that he's going to be out for months, not weeks, not days, but months. That's a big blow to the Red Sox. They need him in that lineup. They need him to be productive. 
And of course, the articles immediately start. This is one thing about running a team that was always frustrating. When there's an injury that happens, all of a sudden you are held ransom by other teams, especially during the season. You lose a third baseman, you got to trade for a third baseman. To acquire a third baseman, you're going to have to overpay. During the offseason, you have an injury. All of a sudden, teams are calling, hey, you need a, you need a guy? I got a guy. You need a middle infielder? I got a middle infielder. It is so hard not to overpay when you're desperate because it's like blood in the water. It's like jaws. Na, 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 na. Injury, Red Sox, payroll, get me some prospects. The best executives are the ones who don't act when they're desperate. They're not going to go ahead like, by the way, Steve Cohen and the Mets are not going to do it either. They're not because they didn't sign Craig going to go out and give $200 million to some yachts right now who's left in the free agent market. You don't do things when you're forced to do them. You do them when they're right. Because if you do them when they're forced, guess what? You are going to lose money and games. If you do deals the right way at the right time, it's all timing. Just like ball bearings, everything in life is timing, isn't it? Think about it. The Red Sox, this is not their time to replace Trevor's story. The hardest thing you do, you swallow hard, you go to spring training, you make it work, and then he'll come back. Do the Red Sox have enough to be at the top of the American League East? Absolutely not. But does it matter? No. All right. Off-season and football started. I love the postseason press conferences. They're so good. So there's 14 teams in the playoffs, and they start on Saturday. There's 18 teams who are in their off-season. And what happens is when your season ends, your PR guy, your head of communications, they give you a day to breathe. But the day after your regular season ends, you're back in the office. You don't even take a day off. PR guy comes in and says, all right, we got to have our media availability. Who's going to do it? Is it owner? Is it GM? Is it coach? Are we firing the coach? Are we firing the GM? Let's make our move. And then we're going to meet the media. Let's do a quick sort of tie the bow on the previous season and let's help out the sales department. Let's say a few good things about next season. But the key thing is don't dwell on the fact that we are one of 18 teams that didn't make the playoffs. It's obvious it's going to be written about by our local media. It's going to be written about in the national media. But when we meet the media, let's be positive. Let's do a little Q&A. Let's rehearse a little bit, a little media training. So you, you look at these press conferences, and I am just staggered by what some of these GMs say. The season just ended. The, the Chicago Bears, they've got a lot going on. If you're in Chicago right now, you got a lot to think about. Is your team going to Arlington? All of a sudden, you've got the city of Chicago releasing like a six-minute video of how great the renovations could be at Soldier Field. They're willing to give you billions of dollars to stay in Chicago. It's not like they're moving to San Antonio. They'd be moving to Arlington if you have not been to that part. And I went to Madison and I had family in Milwaukee and I had best friends in the northern suburbs of Illinois. And so that triangle is a triangle that I was a part of for many, many years. And we would go to Arlington. I worked at a law firm in Milwaukee one summer and we had a summer associate trip to uh uh, the racetrack in Arlington. There was a dog track somewhere around there. And now there's going to be a stadium because the Bears bought all this land. So Ryan Poles meets the media, the GM of the 
Chicago Bears, and he is the owner of the number one pick. Now, we got the number one pick because of the idiocy of Lovey Smith and the Texans, but be that as it may, they have the number one pick, and when you're the number one, number one, you are, you know, you go three and 14, you get rewarded by being on the clock. What I would never allow our team to do in social media, and I think if I were there today, I still wouldn't allow it, but the Bears tweeted out like, hey, good for us, we're 1-1. One, one. I don't want to draw attention to the fact I hated budgeting for a top draft pick, right? It's like you're planning for failure. When we were doing our budgets, we're totally off the rails here, Coco, but that's okay. When we would do our budgets each year for the team, I would only allow a budget for the 15 pick. So the 15 pick in the first round. So I would budget for us to be in the middle and I would hope for upside, which means we'd get a lower pick so we wouldn't have to spend as much money. And I would be upset about a downside, which means not only did we have a bad season, but now we have to spend more money in the amateur draft. So it's like a double whammy when your team stinks. So no way am I drawing attention that we're not one, one, like, yeah, we stink. We weren't trying to tank, but we got the one, one anyway, because Lovey Smith went for two. So the Bears have this quarterback named Justin Fields, the former Ohio State quarterback, the guy who uh, transferred from Georgia. Good rushing quarterback, terrible team. Just there, there's so many pieces away. So when you're in that situation, you ask your GM to be very, very vanilla in his comments. So the first thing I'm doing when I meet the media is I'm saying I'm not proud to have the number one pick. I'm disappointed in the season. We did not perform the way we wanted to perform. We are gonna take advantage of the cap space we have, and we are gonna give you the team that you deserve to bring a Super Bowl back to Chicago. Those are my talking points. That's it. Instead, what he did, which is interesting to me, what Ryan Pulse did, is he talked about the scenarios where he would draft a quarterback versus not draft a quarterback, but you've got a young quarterback who you just drafted with the 11th pick in 2000, what was it, Coca? 2021, maybe? So just last year, I think he's played two years. So you're putting your player in a bad position already by even answering the question. So you bridge it to the answer you want to answer. And the answer you want to give is, hey, with the number one pick, we know we don't have to worry about what anybody else is doing. We are focused on taking the best available player we are focused on plugging all of the holes that we have to make our team better, to try to have a turnaround the way the Jaguars did, right? The Jaguars are an example. That's what you do in sports. When somebody did something that you want to do, you call them out saying, hey, what they did, that's what we, can you imagine wanting to be the Jaguars? But going from one of the worst records in the league, if not the worst, to winning a division and making the playoffs. So you call that in because you want to get that positivity into the minds of your sponsors and of your fans. You want them to feel as though there's hope even when there isn't. It's like the mirage. It's you're, you're always telling them the water's there. You're gonna drink, I promise, it's so good. Don't worry that it's dry by the time you get there because it's the journey. And so I'm gonna talk about the journey. But instead, the GM said something that we instructed our people to never say. He said, we're going to do the same as we've always done. Uh-oh, why do we tell our people not to say that? Because we're not the Yankees and we're not the Dodgers this or the Patriots. The same as we've ever done if you've been good is really good to say, hey, why would we change what we're doing? What we're doing works, we're gonna keep doing it. 
When you have the number one pick in the draft, you want to say the opposite. We're not going to do things the way we've always done them because the way we've done them means we suck. It's such an easy sentence not to say. I guess he wasn't media trained. It's so strange. And then in baseball, we were always very good at explaining to our fans and the media why the draft in baseball is so difficult. And we would always call on football and we'd call on basketball. We're not the NFL, we're not the NBA. We draft people who are 18 years old. We are hopeful that they're gonna be good. We project them to be good, but hey, it's a crapshoot. That's it. But what he did is he said, hey, we're not baseball or basketball. It's not like it's plug and play. He actually said that. This is a team that's had one winning season since 2013, but they're going to keep doing as they always do. And they want you to believe that it's not like baseball and basketball because in baseball, it's plug and play. All right, I'd like you to name for me the last player who went from the draft in June right to the big leagues that year. There was a guy named, um, we wanted to draft him. He was a yelly coca. Um, he was drafted by the Red Sox. We were going to draft him. We got him later in his career. And he was uh, a clubhouse lawyer who stopped us from going to Puerto Rico with Tom Kohler. Craig Breslow. I believe Craig Breslow may have been drafted and went right to the big leagues. But often those guys are college guys who then go right to the big leagues. Don't quote me on that because I may have the total wrong name, but though Breslow was a Marlin for a period of time, and I know we did want him when he was a Red Sox. I just don't know if he went right to the big leagues, but I have this weird feeling he did. But in any case, or maybe we were told he would by our scouts, but then he didn't, doesn't matter. In baseball, you don't go straight. In football, you do. That's the whole point. You do plug and play. You take the holes. Now, you're gonna say to me, but rookie quarterbacks, you gotta sit them for a couple years like Tom Brady did, like Jordan Love is. You put them behind your good quarterbacks and you groom them. You let them be the clipboard guy for a couple of years. Well, when you've had one season since 2013 where you've had a winning record, I think that plug and play is exactly what you need. It's just bizarre to me the way these GMs do it. He wasn't the only one. We're gonna go to break. After the break, I'm gonna talk a little bit about another team because one of you asked about it and what's going on in Indianapolis is outstanding. But when we come back, we're gonna talk about the Golden Globes. If you didn't watch it, I'm gonna give you a review and you're gonna to wanna to hear it because I'm gonna say some things that maybe other people aren't saying. We'll be right back. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thanks for being with us live. Of course, you can download and watch this later. And again, because we it counts twice if you watch it twice, and that wouldn't stink. So thank you for telling your friends about us. We're here five days a week. We watch a movie. I do, not Coca. I watch a movie or something, a TV series every single day. It's part of my work day, and I absolutely love it giving content. I love getting suggestions from you. Last night, I watched the Golden Globes. I'm an awards guy. I'm a red carpet guy. I'm an awards guy because I've seen so many of the movies, so many of the TV series. And I was fascinated in this year's Golden Globes because they had a major problem. The Golden Globes, as you may recall, were not on TV last year because NBC said, we're not putting you on the air. The Golden Globes are awards given by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, and that's a bunch of people who get paid to go to Paris and then nominate Emily in Paris. There's all sorts of payola that goes on with the Hollywood Foreign Press, and that was okay. That was like a Miramax special. I don't mean the inside the hotel room type of special. I mean that that is what you did. You actually budgeted when you made movies or studios budgeted for this sort of payola because when you get nominated for awards or you win awards, it actually helps you make money. So you're investing money to make money. I like it. What came out in the Los Angeles Times expose a couple of years ago is that there wasn't one black member of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, not one. So everyone said, we don't want to be a part of this anymore. As much as we love getting hammered, sitting in a ballroom, looking at each other, smiling, kissing, hugging, drinking, making money, having you watch us dress up in a Dolce Gabbana with Crocs, we can't, we can't associate ourselves with this. We just can't. So they take a year off. They spend the year getting black people in his members, as many as they could, as many people of color, as many LGBTQ people as they could find. You, you qualify, come on in. You're now the Hollywood Foreign Press. Now that's not people from the US, right? Definitionally, it's the Hollywood Foreign Press. Now we gotta find a host. Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, any interest? No, we can't ask you, you're white. All right, what about you, Ricky Gervais? I know that you say some things that people not don't like, but no, you're white. We got to find a black host. We've got to make sure that people realize that we've changed. And the way to do it is we're going to get as many presenters as we can who are people of color. We're going to get a host. We can do this. Let's just find someone. They found someone. His name is Gerard Carmichael. He's in a movie that we, we reviewed um, called On the Count of Three. He's a comedian. He's also gay. He's perfect. How do you get him to host? And how do you start the show? It's an impossible situation. There was an 800 pound gorilla on the back of that entire ballroom as they tried to figure out how they're gonna move forward. How can they celebrate? How can they laugh? How can they pat each other on the backs? What do you do to make sure that everyone in today's society understands in the woke culture in which we are that there has been a change? Well, first we're gonna make sure that we have a list of presenters and then we're gonna make sure the host addresses it. So Carmichael takes the stage at eight o'clock and he starts off right off the top 
takes the air right out of the room, brilliantly saying, hi, I'm your host. And the only reason I'm hosting is I'm black. And then they panned to the white people in the audience who didn't know what to do. Do you smile? Do you laugh? Do you not laugh? Are you uncomfortable? Now, when you see a picture of a celebrity at an award show, here's what's happening in the room in real life. There's a person wearing all black with a camera on their shoulders 10 inches away from the face of the person who you are seeing. It's like the people on the Jumbotron. They know they're gonna be on the kiss cam. They see the camera right there. So what do you do? It was so uncomfortable. He did the best he could, but the opening monologue was very difficult to say the least. So they get through it and then they go right into the awards. I'm gonna give you my top five takeaways from the Golden Globes. Number five, I've got to watch Abbott Elementary. Abbott Elementary is one of the only network shows that won awards last night. It won in the acting, it won for best comedy. It's on ABC. Don't worry, I'm not running away from CBS so fast, but I am gonna watch it. That's my number five takeaway. Number four, I gotta see everything everywhere all at once again. And that was put into my top five last night at 12.32 this morning, 12.37 this morning when I go downstairs, I put it on and watched everything everywhere all at once, my second time. Here's a spoiler alert, watch that movie the second time. I got it so much more, so many subtle things that I totally missed the first time including not remembering that Jenny Slate was in the movie, by the way. And I saw her in the Golden Globes and I said, I wonder what movie she's associated with. And then I watched this morning and there she was. So that's a takeaway. Go see that movie, Michelle Yao won Best Actress, Musical Comedy. She's so good. She said, got on stage, gave a great speech, saying she was 60 years old, proud of the work she's done. She was outstanding, go see that. Number three, takeaway from the Golden Globes. Tom Cruise cannot catch a break. Tom Cruise, after the entire issue with the Golden Globes, he gave away the three Globes he had won. He was so upset that there was a lack of diversity and there's no irony lost on me given his Scientology. But in any case, he was so upset, he gave back the three Golden Globes as his way of saying, I don't like you and I'm not gonna take it anymore, take them back. So Carmichael goes on stage holding the three Golden Globes and says, hey, these are Tom Cruise's, I have an idea. Let's go ahead and sell these and use the money to find the wife of the head of the Church of Scientology, who's been missing for like 15 years out of the public eye. What a cult, what a crazy cult. Well, hold on, Coca, we may have to stop. I think they're after me. Can you hear that? It's the Scientologists, they're here. Hold on, I'm almost done. Give me 17 minutes. That was quite a takeaway because Tom Cruise got roasted as Top Gun Maverick, the co-stars were presenting an award. It was so awkward, the timing was so bizarre. There was no reason to do it then because it's a funny bit, but don't do it when the co-stars are there who then have to defend Tom Cruise two seconds later. It looks totally disorganized. Number two, Ryan Murphy may be the most prolific writer of our time. Ryan Murphy got a special award, the Carol Burnett Award. If you haven't heard of Ryan Murphy, you should have. He did Glee, he did Pose, he did the Dahmer story, he did the assassination of Gianni Versace, he did Nip Tuck. He's, he just writes and writes and writes. And Dahmer, Ivan Peters won that award for uh, playing Jeffrey Dahmer, if you haven't seen that. How do you feel about 
playing Jeffrey Dahmer in a row, right? You're worried about being typecast? I mean, you look at Evan Peters and you're thinking about Jeffrey Dahmer. He better get another role that's like a comedy or something totally out of character, like a romantic comedy of some sort. Even if he's not good at it, I would suggest that that's his next movie because otherwise he has a chance of being typecast by Ryan Murphy and more of his murder. That was the number two takeaway. Number one, I told you I tweeted it out before it started. The Banshees of Sharon is a movie to watch. The Fablemans is a movie to watch. They both won yesterday. Colin Farrell won Best Actor. Steven Spielberg won Best Director. These are two of the top movies, along with Tar of the Year, along with Everything Everywhere All at Once. That's four. My number one takeaway is that I want to convince you to see The Banshees of Sharon. Please. Okay. Evan Peters. What's his big thing? He's the guy where, Coca? Oh, he is? Oh my, no, he's not. Oh my God, do you wanna cut that? Are we live? All right, we can redo that for the next show, right? Ready? 4869. Evan Peters, who is a major Ryan Murphy disciple, his major thing is that he's an all of American horror story, which is also written by Ryan Murphy. Thank you, Coca. Meanwhile, while you're looking up what Evan Peters is doing, can you play me some music, please? You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Come at me, at David P. Samson on Twitter. Hit follow if you're still on Twitter. If not, go to Instagram or TikTok and just follow us. We're doing good stuff. It's really Coca doing it all. Ask me a question. I may get to it. David, is it possible that the cults will bring back Jeff Saturday or is it guaranteed? It's a very simple question. And I'm going to answer it right now. Jeff Saturday will be the coach of the Indianapolis Colts next season. Jeff Saturday had an amazing run as interim. He won a game. He beat the Raiders. Way to go, Jeff. But that's not the real question you're asking, right? You want to know why they're bringing back Jeff Saturday. The reason is quite simple. By the way, Coca, make that an official wait to see. Jeff Saturday will be back as coach of the Indianapolis Colts after, of course, they interview minorities so they don't violate the Rooney rule. Why? Because Jim Irsay is the owner. And guess who's running the Colts? Jim Jerry Jones Irsay. What an absolute disaster this season was. So they do a press conference at the end of the season. And they put out their GM to do the press conference. And he had some unbelievable comments. His name is Chris Ballard. And he acknowledged how bad the season was, which I would have tried to go past as quickly as possible. He violated one of the great press conference cardinal rules. Never say that you would fire yourself unless you can't be fired. Owners can say it, but nobody else. He said, I fired myself 50 times this year. I would have fired myself. No, no, don't do that. You may give ideas to Jim Irsay. But why do you think that Ballard has such great job security? Because he's not making any decisions. Word has come out of how Jeff Saturday got the job. He took it at 1.30 a.m. where Frank Reich was gonna be fired seven hours later. And if Saturday hadn't taken it, they would have let Reich coach one more week while they convinced Saturday, they, I said they, why would I say they? It's he, it was just he, it's always he, it's just he. Jim Irsay, that's it. What is your view of meddling owners? I have some experience with that. I'm all in. It's their team. I love it. Own it. 
I've never criticized Jerry Jones for being the GM of the team, calling himself the GM. You can criticize his moves. You can say they've not been successful, having not won a Super Bowl in many, it's gotta be over a decade, Coca, isn't it? What I don't like are owners who make decisions, but then don't say they're making decisions. And it seems to me that Jim Ursay is making a living out of trying to convince people that he's not in charge. He's the one who pushed for Matt Ryan to be benched. He's the one who told Frank Reich which quarterback is going to play. He's the one who said we're bringing in the ESPN analyst Jeff Saturday to coach. The players were upset. The front office was grumbling. Why? Because front offices want to do their job. Scouts want to feel like they have a say in player personnel that the owner is not making decisions based on someone who's not working for the team, someone who's not qualified to make decisions. GMs want to believe that they're running an organization, not just a budget. You want to know the fastest way to lose all morale in your team? Have an owner making decisions and not owning up to it. Have employees believe they've got power when they don't. The other thing that Ballard did at the press conference that's another no-no, just strange. He said, and I quote, he said, let me, let me get the exact quote if you don't mind. I never take lightly what's at stake here. It's not the wins and losses, but people's lives are on the line. No, they're not. This is sports. This is entertainment. Don't give me war analogies. Don't want you to use them. We're not going into battle with another team. We're not fighting a war. It isn't life or death. You want to know what life and death is? It's what happened with Hamlin on the field. That's life or death. Going one and seven under Jeff Saturday, being a meddling owner, getting the first pick. That's not life or death. Having a crappy team? No. He said people's lives are on the line. Players, families, coaches, families, front office, people in the building. I never take that lightly. Ultimately, it falls on my shoulders. I won't walk away from that. I won't run from that. That's my kind of employee. Ballard's standing there taking bullets for his owner. On the other hand, he's making sure that it's leaked, that everyone knows that Ursay's making all the decisions. You think Ursay's not paying attention to that? You think he doesn't realize that? Give me a break. Let's see what the other press conferences are going to be. Jeff Saturday, wait to see. He's coming back. Good luck there. Nothing personal pick of the day. If you faded Samson, you're 7-0 this year. Good job. Donovan Mitchell went back to Utah. It was a love affair. Videos and congratulations and the Cavs were going to cover. Everything was going to be great. And then the Jazz scored 10 points in a row in one possession with like a minute left. And the Cavs did not cover. We lost again. We're 0-7. When, when can we stop picking the NBA? Is that soon? Can we do our NFL picks soon, Coca? I'm going to do it Friday, right? I'll do a, I'm going to pick all six wildcard games. So therefore, I know I'm going to go, let's say, 5-1. and one, So I'm going to gain four games. The problem when you're 0-7 in the pick of the day is you want to hit like a grand slam. You want to get back to 500 immediately. I got time. It's middle of January. Hang in there with me today. I'm going to go with Giannis. But how do I know Giannis is playing? 
It's a problem with the NBA. Coke is Giannis playing two and a half over Nate McMillan's Hawks. The Hawks, as you know, are a total disaster. Trey Young is going to win that fight. Nate McMillan's going to be gone. I think we have that wait to see. These players who want to get rid of coaches so badly, it's so good. Kyler Murray getting rid of Kingsbury. Trey Young trying to get rid of his coach. Well, I'd say the Bucs are going to cover by two and a half. So I'm watching a game um, yesterday, just highlights, because I was watching the Golden Globes, and I got a alert that something had happened in the Miami Heat game. And that interested me greatly because when something happens with the Heat, having lived in Miami for so long, and Pat Riley, humble brag here, very good guy. I, I'm honored to know him. He's taught me quite a bit, actually. Pat Riley is getting older, but still runs that team completely. Spolstra coaches, I predicted a while ago, many, many years ago, like 10 years ago, that Riley was going to come back and coach when Spolstra was not winning titles, but then he started winning titles and Riley has settled comfortably into running the team. He's had a full Hall of Fame career. It's amazing what he did in LA and then New York and now Miami, just one of the top coaches and executives of all time. And the way he runs the team, and I happen to know this for a fact because I've spoken to him about it. So this is not secondhand knowledge. This is not from sources. It is critical to him what goes on inside the locker room, that things stay in the locker room. We talked about it many, many times about how to deal with the media, the sort of conversion over to social media, the fact that everything gets public so fast. He was a very big fan and stays this way today. Don't do anything that embarrasses the team and don't air your dirty laundry in public. Hard stop. Last night in the Heat game, the Heat were playing OKC. The Heat were without, you know, five of their players. They had they were had nine guys able to dress. They've got this guy named Dwayne Dedman. And he got into a argument with his coach, Eric Spolstra, in the huddle. That's something that you want to avoid, right? Dugout skirmishes. You really want to try to avoid that as best as you can. Sometimes it happens, and we had a rule. It's very simple. If you see it brewing, the bench coach has a job. If the first and third base coach is on the field and the bench coach is in the dugout, the bench coach has the job. If the base coaches are are um, in the dugout, then they do it instead of the bench coach. But you make sure that your players who are arguing, you bring them out of sight of cameras, out of sight of fans. You can't just go right below the stairs of a dugout because there are still fans who could see it and there's still some TV cameras that can get in there. You really got to go down, back toward the locker room, back toward the clubhouse, do what you have to do, and that's that. We'll then deal with how we're going to figure out the leaks, what we're going to say publicly, if anything, but we'll worry about that after. Don't do anything publicly. So this guy, Deadman, not only does he fight with Spolstra in the huddle, but then he swipes at a Theragun that's on the bench and it goes onto the court. I've never seen anything like it. The equivalent is in baseball when you throw, when a manager is in an argument or going to get ejected or gets ejected and they take the pile of gum and they throw it on the field or the Gatorade thing and they throw it on the field. Bobby Knight throwing a chair on the court. So we've seen people throw things, right? The game was going on and the massage Theragun thing almost hit one of the Heat players in the leg. All of a sudden, it just appeared on the court. Immediate ejection for unsportsmanlike conduct. I was picturing Pat Riley the entire time, wondering what he would do, wondering whether age was impacting his decision-making. And I realized 
that the old Pat Riley, no questions asked, Dwayne Dedman is waived or traded. He will not put on a heat uniform again. There are certain third rail things that a player can do. And if you're not one of the big three and you're not sort of the guy, you have much less leeway. Obviously, if LeBron got into a fight and a massage thing went on, he'd have a massage thing goes on the court. He'd have LeBron meet the media. LeBron would be contrite. LeBron would apologize. But by the way, LeBron wouldn't do that. See, this guy loses his temper. But I realize that in today's NBA, he may not lose his job. And this is the same team that when Myers Leonard made that anti-Semitic comment on Twitch, he never wore a heat uniform again. I am not comparing anti-Semitism to losing your temper. What I'm comparing is conduct unbecoming an officer. There are different levels of conduct that are unbecoming for a player. But as a consequentialist, as someone running the team and running a clubhouse, you cannot stand for that. What message are you showing? Eric Spolstra after the game said, it's just a Tuesday for the Miami Heat. Pat Riley must be spinning in his suite. That can't be a Tuesday for a winning team. That sort of dysfunction leads to losses. Now, Pat Riley had a lot of egos that he managed in New York, a lot of egos he managed in Miami, a lot of egos in Los Angeles. He knows how to manage egos. He knows how to win championships. Can't deny that. One of the keys to winning a championship is making sure players understand what line is not going to be crossed given their position with the team. If you are Dwayne Dedman, you've got a different line that you can't cross than if you are Jimmy Butler. That's just life. The players know it. It's not like a surprise to them. When we met out punishment and give players second chances and others we don't, the players don't sit in the clubhouse wondering, I wonder what makes them make those decisions. But the NBA with its complicated cap rules, with dead money, the way it is with the NFL as well, anytime you've got a salary cap, you've got a bit of a problem. And Pat Riley has to think about the business side of basketball as much as he has to think about the inside the locker room part of basketball, about the success of the team part of basketball, about the championship pedigree part of basketball. That's when your collective bargain agreement is not helping. When you are thinking about what you wanna negotiate, how the salary cap is gonna work, anything that is in your CBA that makes you do a calculation that may not be in the best interests of the team, and I'm not talking about just money, I'm talking about actual ways that you run your team. Things that you know are right that you can't do because of rules. The players know this. The players get educated about this by their union. Is it possible that Deadman will not be released or traded? Yeah, because Pat Riley wants to make sure that he's not hurting the team. Deadman has to get suspended by the team. He has to, but there's a limit to the suspension it can be. But the old Pat Riley, no way. But the new Pat Riley, it's just business. This is nothing personal. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com